0: Okay, now to God's Word. Please, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 1 this morning as we continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. This morning, we're going to come, or we do come, to one of the most famous lines, certainly in the Sermon on the Mount, but perhaps in the entire Bible. Everybody knows this. We all have this one memorized, church. What is the golden rule? You tell me. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, Jesus says, do also to them. This isn't just unique to Christianity. Like if you look at every major world religion, you're going to find that proverb in some form or fashion. And if you read any ethical book, textbook, you're going to find that is in just about every single one of them. Businesses teach the golden rule. School teachers teach the golden rule. I mean, everybody knows the golden rule. But here's the question I want us to wrestle with this morning. Everybody knows it, but who actually lives it? Right, who actually does the golden rule? We all know it. Everybody knows it, but who actually lives it? It reminds me of the safety instructions that airline attendants give when we're on the flight. Right? We all know this. Right? You're sitting on the flight, and they, these poor men and women, they're telling us information that could literally save our lives. And we're doing everything possible to like tune them out. Right? We got the earbuds are going in. We're searching for magazines. like We're trying not to make eye contact because, yeah, 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 I, I got it. I, I know what you're talking about. Right, We do this, and Gabe and I were texting back and forth, just the humor. The, about the only time I listen is on Southwest, because once in a while, those flight attendants are hilarious, They're, they, because they know the problem. They know no one's listening to me, and so I'm going to make it funny and actually engage with the audience. But Gabe and I were, were texting, and he said something that's so true. He said, you know what? If the plane ever was to truly go down, we would all be freaking out. But do you know where the flight attendant would be? he or she would be like sitting calmly in their chair with their oxygen mask on because they actually did it, right? They took care of themselves before frantically trying to take care of other people. And they'd kind of have like this smug look on their face like, what's up now? (laughs) You know, you should have listened. You thought you knew it all, but you obviously didn't. And when it came down to it, you weren't living, you weren't doing what You thought you knew too well to do. And so this morning, what I want to petition and plead, I've been pleading with myself, with the Lord. Lord, help me not treat you like I do flight attendants. This is the golden rule. I know it. I've heard it. But am I really living it? I believe that's what God wants to help us with this morning, not just to know something, but how do we actually practically apply it in our lives? So let's read God's word. Let's read the words of Jesus, and let's tune in, not like a flight attendant, but let's tune in to the Lord of all, the Master, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus, we gather this morning because we want to listen to you. We gather this morning because we've come to hear your words speak to us in a fresh and a powerful way. And so, Lord, help us now, Spirit of God, help us in this moment to tune in, not not like we would on, a, on an airline flight, but tune in to you because we, we love you. You love us. You want to speak to us, encourage us, correct us, and guide us into paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And so, Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts that we might receive what you want to give to us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Treat others as you want to be treated. That's the main point that Jesus is getting across here. Treat others as you would want to be treated. He's bringing the main body, the main section of his sermon to a close. And before he wraps things up in this sermon, he's giving us this summarizing, concluding statement, treat other people as you yourselves want to be treated. That's what the whole Bible is about, he's saying. That, that's what it truly means to live in the kingdom of God. This is how true disciples, true followers of Christ, are supposed to live. This is what it all can be boiled down to. The kingdom of God is like this. Treat others as you want to be treated. Now, I don't know about you all, but I, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I read it with like this idealized picture in my mind. Like, in my mind, it's summer, and... All of these people are hanging out on the side of this mountain and everybody's really happy, right? There's like a nice breeze kind of blowing, kids are playing, everyone's getting along, like everybody's like super chill and Jesus is teaching and everyone's happy and it's just like this idealistic setting. Here's the problem though, that's not real life, right? I mean, and if we read at the end of chapter four, we read that this is an incredibly eclectic crowd. There's people from all over the place here. People from all different backgrounds, all walks of life, speaking all different kinds of languages, Jews, Gentiles, people that just got healed of demon possession, people that couldn't walk that are now walking. I mean, people are, this huge crowd has gathered. And you know as well as I do that when a huge, massive crowd gathers, what happens when they get hot and hungry? Right. What what happens when the paralytic decides, you know what? It would be really nice to just hear Jesus a little bit better. Oh, wait, I can actually walk now. I'm going to actually get down close so I can hear Jesus a little bit better. What about the demon-possessed guy? Doesn't he eventually say, yo, buddy, like, I'm glad that you can walk and all, but do you know I've had, like, Satan living within me for the past several years? Don't you think I want to hear Jesus a little bit better? You can find a spot right here, right behind me. You see, what what all of these people in this eclectic crowd have in common is the same thing that all of us have in common. By nature, we are self-centered individuals. That's who we are. And Jesus, with one proverb, gets right to the main issue that every human being faces. We're all self-centered. Like, nobody has to teach me, when I wake up in the morning, I always want me to be happy. In every situation that I find myself in, I'm always concerned that it goes my way. Nobody has to teach me that way. Like, I don't have to work hard to want the best for myself. I'm by nature self-centered. That's the problem here that Jesus is confronting. That's why the golden rule is so hard. The golden rule is so hard because it actually requires us for a moment to get outside of ourselves to stop thinking about ourselves and to put ourselves in the shoes of other people and think, man, if I was like them, if I was like him or her, how would I want to be treated right now? Putting myself in their shoes, how would I want somebody to treat me? That's why the golden rule is so hard. So this is what Jesus is getting at right here. And the way that he comes, so Jesus knows that he's teaching people who by nature, so he's gathered his disciples together just like he's gathered us together this morning, and he's trying to help us Right? He's trying to get us as people who by nature are self-centered. He's trying to get us to live a different way. He wants to help us. And so specifically, he's calling us to be men and women. If we're going to follow Jesus, we have to be men and women of discernment. He's calling us to judge things rightly. He's calling us to evaluate rightly. That's what holds this whole passage together. Jesus is calling for a right evaluation of people, ourselves, and others, And he's calling for a right evaluation of God. That's how the passage breaks down. So that's how I want to look at it this morning. A right evaluation of people, ourselves and others, and then a right evaluation of God. First, an evaluation of people. Jesus begins with this principle, Judge not, verse 1, that you be not judged. Now this is another famous line, right? We all know this one too. And usually, this is the one that gets touted out when somebody is telling us something that we don't want to hear. Like, who are you to judge me, right? Judge not, lest you be judged. This is a famous one that people like to use. We sometimes like to use it ourselves. But listen, Jesus is not against all forms of judgment. We know that because in verse 6, when he says, don't give dogs what's holy and pearls to pigs, like, well, who's a dog and who's a pig? Like, that's a judgment call. I've got to make an evaluation here. And in verse 15, he says, beware of false prophets. Like, who is teaching truth and who is teaching error? Like, I've got to make an evaluation. I've got to make a judgment. So Jesus is not coming against all judgment. He's calling people out who will judge others without first judging themselves. He's calling people out who are making evaluation on other people's sins, but they're not making evaluations on their own. That's what he's calling out. He's calling out self-centered disciples who think of themselves more highly than they ought. That's what Jesus is coming against here. Now, the analogy couldn't be more humorous if it weren't so penetrating and convicting. right? So you've got two guys, Sequoia Man and Sawdust Man. Sequoia Man is coming in, and you don't want Sequoia Man around because he's got a gigantic tree growing out of his face. And you don't want to be around him. You definitely don't want him over your house because stuff is going down. When Sequoia Man is in the room, stuff is getting wrecked. And the last thing you want Sequoia Man to do is eye surgery on you. Like, hey, let me, let me get that speck out of your eye. Um, can we just call it, hold on, I do, I do actually have a speck of sawdust in my eye, and it is irritating me. But did, did you, did you, did you have, happen to notice that you have a tree growing out of your face? Like, I'm all good, Sequoia man. Like, go back to the forest from which you came. I don't need your help right now. Jesus is getting at something in a humorous way, but this is how ridiculous, friends, this is how ridiculous we look and we act when we're bringing correction to others that we're not willing to receive ourselves. Jesus is trying to help us with this. We all know the story of David, King David, 2 Samuel 11 and 12. King David... Supposed to be off at war, but he decides to sit one out. Right, so while he's on vacay in Jerusalem, he notices a really beautiful girl taking a, a bath. And in a, in a moment of lust and a total abuse of power, he calls the woman to himself and forces her to sleep with him. Even though he knows that she's a married woman. It gets worse right? Bathsheba gets pregnant. So David tries to cover up his sin and eventually concocts a plan where we're going to send Uriah out to the battlefront where we know he's going to get killed and we're going to pull away from him so that he dies. So David adds to his adultery murder. Now, when Nathan the prophet comes to him, he doesn't just call David out on it. He tells him a story. Hey, king, we've got a situation on our hands. Rich man, poor man. Rich man has all these flocks, all these herds, lambs, sheep, goats. And he's entertaining his buddies one night, and he decides he's going to have a meal for them, but he doesn't want to kill any of his goats, any of his lambs. So he goes down the street, and the poor man down the street has one lamb, only one. And the Bible says that he loves it like a daughter. Like this is more than just a family pet. Him and his kids. I mean, this is their one prized possession. So the rich man who has all this livestock won't slaughter any of his stuff. He goes down the road and kills the one lamb that the poor man had so that he can feed his buddies. King, what what should we do about this? What does David say? That man deserves to die. You see, self-righteous people are in a position where they think that they can see the sins of other people with 20-20 vision, but they're blind to their own sin. Right? David, David assumed and presumed upon the mercy of God. But when it came to the sins of others, justice. I want justice. That's what Jesus is saying. Guys, don't do that. Don't act like that. Do not judge people like that. It's the same thing that Jesus is talking to Peter about later on in Matthew's Gospel when Peter says, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. It's kind of like this. The kingdom of God is like this. One guy goes to the king, and he owes an insurmountable debt, begs him for mercy, gets it, is absolved of the debt, but then he goes down the road to find his fellow servant who owes him so much less, grabs him by the throat and says, pay me what you owe. Don't do that. Friends, are you in a situation right now, in a relationship, in some situation or circumstance where you are hypercritical of somebody else, but you're giving yourself a free pass on your own sins? Are you involved in any situation, any relationship right now, any conflict right now where you feel like you can see the sin of somebody else with 20-20 vision, but you're actually giving yourself a free pass on your critical spirit? That's what Jesus is trying to help us with here this morning. Don't do that. Evaluate yourself rightly. If you don't evaluate yourself rightly, you will never be able to truly live the golden rule. That's what his point is. I was at a baseball game this week, and I don't have to tell you guys a story because you already know it. So the umpire makes a call on the field that all the parents disagree with. So you know what happens. And one parent starts to get louder than every other parent, and he won't let things go. Like, now he's starting to get really upset, starting to use foul language, and it's getting ugly. Eventually, one mom says, dude, I got kids here. Like, shut up. And I started to make some evaluations. I thought, man, dude, chill out. Like, it truly is just a game. These kids are 14 years old. Like, chill. You're embarrassing yourself, and you're embarrassing all the rest of us. But you know what happened? The Lord started convicting me, not him. And it went something like this. Jason, there is a fine line between that's wrong and I'd never do something like that. And I think you just crossed the line. Can you relate to that? There's a fine... Should we make evaluation? Should we call wrong, wrong? Absolutely. Should we critically evaluate things so that they can be improved? Absolutely. But there is a fine line, friends, between that's wrong And I would never do something like that. And we've got to be very careful. Jesus is saying, some of us are crossing that line. Don't judge people like that. Don't fail to evaluate yourselves rightly. I can guarantee, just like myself, that none of you would want the sins of your past week alone, your thoughts and your actions and your words this week. I would not want those things running for myself on this screen. Someone who evaluates themselves rightly realizes, listen, I don't see everything 2020. So when I come to bring evaluation, even when I have to bring correction, because we do, to one another, I come gently. I come humbly. I come realizing I don't have everything figured out. I don't see your heart and your motives with 2020 vision. That's how we're supposed to come to one another. Listen to these questions. I really believe God wants to help us with this, and in some specific areas, too. Listen to these questions, though. I was reading, if you want to get a good book on the Sermon on the Mount, buy Martin Lloyd-Jones commentary. It is awesome. But listen to some of these questions that came from that. He says, do you tend to insert yourself and your perspective into situations that really don't involve you? Do you regularly air your opinion about things that really are none of your business? Do you express your opinion without being fully informed and then think that your partially informed opinion is 100% accurate? We can do this sometimes, right? When something isn't done our our way, is it wrong? When things don't go or don't look the way we want them to look or the way we think they should look, is it wrong? And do we start... Assuming the motives on the part of those that we disagree with. Those are judgments that we're making against one another. And then, do you attack a person's character when you don't understand their perspective? It's easy to do that, right? We disagree with somebody, we don't understand, we don't respect them, we start to attack their character because we don't like their decisions. We've got to be careful friends, as a church, inside the church, and outside the church. And here's one of the ways that I feel like this is landing on me. Parents, when you're going, whether your kids are young or old, whether you're go, when you're going to your children, are you going to them to correct them with an understanding that you yourself are in need of the same gospel that they are? we got to be careful as parents. We know this, right? It's so easy to correct our kids without understanding, you know what? The grace that I want to receive myself, I'm not as quick to give to them. And teens, if you're in here this morning and you went through youth camp, right? You're all fired up. I know that feeling. And that feeling may start to dissipate. One of the ways that we burn for Christ and keep on burning for Christ is asking ourselves on a regular basis some evaluation questions, and so when mom or dad is correcting you, no matter how old you are, do you come to that discussion with an understanding that mom and dad might see things a little bit more clearly than I do? They might not bring everything exactly the way I want, but they do see some things clearly because they've lived longer than I have. Or are we resistant to our mom and dad because we honestly think we know more than them? That? That's how this stuff applies to our lives. How are we judging one another? We need to... Remember that the same gospel that we need as parents, we need as children and vice versa. Now, I want to get to this evaluation of God. We're still under point one, the evaluation of one another. But what in the world is Jesus talking about here with the pearls and the dogs and the pigs and what's holy? What's going on there? Jesus is saying, as much as you need to be careful not to sinfully judge one another in self-righteousness and arrogance... Don't throw all judgment out the window. There are certain people who are openly hostile to the gospel and correction in general that you're better off going to those who will listen than you are to keep on trying to get this person to hear you. You've got to make a judgment call. And some of us are in relationships and circumstances as well where the person that we try to correct or someone that we're having a difficulty with or someone that we're even trying to share the gospel with is openly hostile to us, Jesus is saying, move on. Continue to love them. Continue to pray for them. Do not fear their persecution, but don't incite it upon ourselves, right? When you're dealing with a situation or a circumstance where somebody is not willing to listen and they are openly opposed to God's ways, you walk away. Don't throw pearls to pigs. They're acting like those who are outside of God's Realm, his family, they're unclean. That's what Jesus is getting at. Move on. So applying the golden rule, again, it requires discernment. It requires an evaluation, a right evaluation of ourselves and a right evaluation of one another. That's the first thing that Jesus is teaching. Secondly, an evaluation of God. First, an evaluation of people, then an evaluation of God so that we would be those who actually live the golden rule. At first glance, it does seem difficult to connect. How does self-righteous judgment connect with like, all this stuff about prayer? Asking, seeking, knocking. What does that have to do with the golden rule? What does that have to do with one another? Well, again and again in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is filling out for us what does it actually mean to be poor in spirit. That's one of the telltale marks of someone living in the kingdom of God. They're poor in spirit. And someone who's poor in spirit, someone who's humble, is somebody who constantly sees themselves in need of God's help. That's why they're seeking, asking, and knocking repetitively. I need you, God. I can't do this myself. I need you. I need you to act in my life, which is exactly the opposite of the self-righteous hypocrite. That's why Jesus told stories like the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, right? The Pharisees on one side saying, God, I thank you I'm not like this sinner. I give, I pray, I fast twice a week. Thank you that I'm not like him, this tax collector. And the tax collector is beating on his chest, won't even look to heaven and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This is what Jesus is wanting to cultivate in us. And the sinner who's praying constantly, God, have mercy on me, how does he find God to be? How does the humble, poor in spirit, man or woman, find God to be? Well, Look at what it says. Jesus, again, brilliant teacher, lays things right in our laps. Dads, if your son asks you for a bite to eat, are you going to tell him, here, go chew on this rock? If your son asks you for a fish, are you going to give him a serpent? Are you going to give him something harmful when he's asking for something good? No. Fathers typically don't act like that. I was thinking of when I, uh, my very first kind of time when I was living on my own in an apartment, living uh, with some buddies and working at UPS. I worked the third shift, so I'd get up at 1, 2 in the morning and go to work. And in Albany, I was just outside of Albany, New York. And in Albany, just like here, and 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, it would not be uncommon for the roads to be like a total mess. So I told you guys that I used to drive a hoopty. Like, this thing was in rough shape. 87 Chevy Capri, like, rear-wheel drive, horrible in the snow. The, do- the door panels were all rusted out, like, built-in air conditioning, which isn't as awesome as it sounds in the dead of winter, okay? So this thing was, was rough. So when I visited my parents one weekend, my dad had just got a brand-new four-wheel-drive truck. Just got it. He said, listen, this is how it's going to go the rest of the winter. I want you to take my truck from Buffalo back to Albany, and I'm going to keep the hoopty for the winter. Are you serious? Yeah, that's how I want this to roll down. I want to know that when you're going to work at 1 o'clock in the morning, you're getting there safely. I'll deal with whatever it is that you call this thing. And I want you to take my truck, my brand new four-wheel drive truck. I was like, yes, I love you, Dad. (laughs) Here's the point. If dads can give brand new four-wheel drive trucks to their son that they love, how much more, friends? If that's how a father loves his son, how much more does God in heaven love you? Think of the best thing, and I know everybody doesn't have an awesome father, and my dad wasn't the best dad that ever lived either. Right? He had his faults, but he, he was a good dude. Like I loved my dad. And, and there were good things that all of our dads did at some point. The point that Jesus is making is how much more. God, the only way to compare earthly fathers with God in heaven, even the best of dads are evil in comparison, because in God there's only perfect love. There's no darkness in him at all. He never does anything maliciously. He's never neglectful. He's never forgetful. You are constantly on his mind, and he knows exactly what you need at every single moment of your life. And he's determined, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he is determined to give you what is good. And his son rises on the evil and the the good. So even if you're not a Christian in here, God has been faithful and good to you your entire life, whether you know it or not. That's who God is. So this is how it all is supposed to work. If I'm a humble person, And I'm going to a father like that. Mind you, we were not knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. That's a great tune, but it's totally unbiblical. You and I were not knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. That's not what the Bible teaches. We were knock, knock, knocking on the door of hell. We couldn't get far enough away from God. We wanted nothing to do with him. We only want to satisfy our sinful appetites and live in autonomy from God. I don't want you in my life. So I'm not a knocker. I'm not a seeker. I'm not an asker. God has graciously come to me through the person who's preaching this sermon. Jesus came to rescue you, Christian. Not when you were trying to find your way to God. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Jesus came to rescue you. He came to rescue me. You will never find love like that, ever. You will never find someone who says, I will willingly take all of your sins and I will suffer the most excruciating pain known to man, in addition to the wrath of God for you, so that you don't have to take that. Jesus Christ is the one that truly lived the golden rule. He said, I'm going to treat you as I would want to be treated. I know the love of my Father. I know the goodness of God. I know what fellowship in heaven is like and I want that for you. So I will treat you as I want to be treated. I'll bear your punishment. I'll take your shame. I'll remove it from you and I'll make it possible for you to live in relationship with my Father in heaven. Nobody has loved us like that. No God is good like that. And so when we are aware when we're humbly aware of how gracious God has been to us this is how it applies to the golden rule then we turn and realize I'm going to share that with other people Paul trips at it this way we are so drenched in the mercy of God we are drenched dripping with it is anybody around you getting wet Good question, right? I am so drenched in the mercy of God. All I receive is grace upon grace and his mercy. Is anybody around me getting wet with that same mercy? Am I extending that mercy, that grace, that generosity, that kindness, that love to anybody else? Because I am one who is soaking wet with the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Is anybody around me getting hit with that? That's what Jesus wants to help us to do. That's how this passage connects. As I evaluate God rightly, and I understand as a poor, humble sinner that he treats me with such amazing love, then now I turn by his spirit and by his grace with resolve to say, I want to treat other people the way God has treated me. That's how it applies to the golden rule. Let me have the band return. We're going to return to a time of singing to express to God once again, just express back to Him His goodness to us. We, we, we want to worship Him. But let me just close by saying, I read something this week that just got me thinking a lot. It, it was a quote by someone named Francis Schaefer, who was a well-known author and pastor And he said that Christian love, this idea of treating others as we want to be treated or loving others as you love yourselves, he said that is the final apologetic. That's what Francis Schaeffer said. The final apologetic is Christian love. And what he's saying is that the evidence that proves Christianity to be true, the final apologetic is when Christians love one another and they even love their enemies. And somebody that was commenting on that said it's not right belief, it's right Behavior that proves that we're disciples of Jesus. I think it's both. I think right belief, based on God's word, coupled with the Spirit's empowered behavior in our lives, is what teaches people that we're truly God's children. The way that we love one another, and the way that we love the world, that's what gives evidence to the gospel. So we're going to close just where we started. We all know the golden rule. We all know it. We quoted it. Who will actually live it? Christian, you have been given the spirit of God, and you have been given the model of Jesus Christ. You have everything that you need to go and to live as Jesus instructs us to live. Go and live the golden rule for his glory and for your joy. Let's pray. Lord, we, right now, we're doing what you commanded us to do. We are seeking. We're knocking. We're asking. Because we believe you to be a God in heaven who gives good gifts to those who ask him. And so, Lord, would you help us to not judge one another as we would not want to be judged? Would you help us to see you rightly? Would you help us to remember Day in and day out, how good you are, how kind you are, how you've welcomed us into this relationship with you. And would you fill us with your spirit so that when we interact with one another, when we interact with those in our family, when we interact with those in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, and among the nations, we truly would give them a defense because of how we live. We love as we want ourselves to be loved, we treat others as we've been treated by you. Would you help us to do this, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen.